And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm Eric Kareen, and this is The Blank Show, the shit show edition of Raptors Reasonablists. Thanks so much for joining us. I am joined today by my colleague, as usual, Blake Murphy. Blake, how goes your life amidst the shit show? Oh, it's shit show on all fronts, Eric. That's the... uh... (laughs) Look, I appreciate Nick Nurse censoring himself before the game on Sunday. Uh, I was very tempted after the game to tee him up to say the shit word, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. I didn't want to get him fined on top of everything else. He ended Saturday's game with a technical, getting fined, and Kyle Lowry had already taken a fine with uh, ending Sunday's game with two technicals. So figured we could we could leave off, and I would just fill in the blanks for them. When Nick Nurse says it's a bit of a blank show, uh, as I wrote Sunday night, it's more than a bit, and it's it's a shit show. It's- yeah. Uh, you can read that article, incidentally, at theathletic.com. Uh, it was a good one. Blake uh, getting his feelings in, uh, as we're in a very feelings time. Uh, theathletic.com slash we the six, three ninety nine per month. Uh, we hope that you subscribe because uh, we do some we do some work there, and it's not always a shit show. Uh, but you know, right now it is sort of because of the Raptors. But we'll have you covered as it's now ten days until the NBA trade deadline, and uh, you know, beyond that, we'll be in buyout season. Although, if things consider or continue along this path, I'm not sure the Raptors are going to be major. Uh, players in that. Uh, well, anyway, there, we've got, there's the opposite of buyout season, though. Um, buying you know, out season? For, for the entirety <laughs> of the Athletics' existence, the Raptors have been a team that you might look at adding through the buyout market. Uh, but there's also the other side of that where you subtract and you give to the buyout market. Yeah. Uh, not that the Raptors have many players who other teams would be uh, thirsty to jump on, I don't think. But it does open a roster spot. And uh, with the Raptors 905 season being done now, um, you know, you've gotten, well, you didn't get a look at Dante Hall unless you were watching the 905 games. Uh, You've gotten a look at Henry Ellenson now. Gary Payton II and Alizé Johnson just sitting at home waiting for the call. Uh, If the Raptors were to go in a, not even go, if the Raptors were to continue in the current direction. And uh, and sort of, you know, keep, you know, let, let have them be a bit more future-minded as yeah. opposed to present-minded. Yeah. There, there are some guys, and it's not just from the 905. There are a lot of fun guys in the the G League bubble. Uh, but, yeah, I think we're a couple weeks away from that still. The next 10 days, boy, if you go back to the end of last week's podcast when we talked about how important this eight-game stretch would be in determining the path of the Toronto Raptors, uh, they come out, they drop three straight to make it a five-game losing streak – 
Eric, the last time the Raptors lost five in a row, they went out and acquired P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka. The last time the Raptors lost more than five in a row, they went out and acquired Rudy Gay. Uh, those <laughs> deals worked out, obviously, varying degrees of success. Uh, who is uh, who is the P.J. Tucker, Serge Ibaka, Rudy Gay that is going to solve this five-game losing streak? <laughs> um, look, it, it's... It's weird to react to short stretches of play with how they affect the trade market, but we are 10 days away from the trade deadline and the Raptors are five games under 500. So I, I'm I'm kidding a little bit here, but also they're five games under 500 yeah. 10 days from the trade deadline. Uh, PJ Tucker ain't walking through that door, uh, I think we can safely say. Well, uh, as, as Sean Strania outlined in his inside pass on Monday... Uh, the Raptors are not one of the teams interested, or at least rumored to be tied to PJ Tucker right now. And Houston's asking price is very high. Yeah. Uh, well, we should all ask for the things yeah. we want in life. Two seconds, and Jared Sullinger isn't going to get it done this year. <laughs> so uh, the news of the week. The news of the week is that the news is bad, <laughs> says Pert Hapley. Um, it's it's not going well for the Raptors. It is indeed a shit show. They are 17 and 22 following a one of the more dispiriting back-to-backs uh, and just general weeks uh, you can remember. They're not out of it yet. Uh, I mean, not yet as it even necessary. They're currently in 11th, uh, but, you know, they're still only three games out of sixth place, four games out of fourth. The problem, as you mentioned, is that they are 10 days away from the trade deadline and have to make some decisions and they project as a team that could go either way and even if they run off five in a row before the deadline that still might not put them into you know aggressive buyer mode it would maybe seem a bit irresponsible and the reason for the five game losing streak without getting too reductive and i don't think this is reductive at all is that the Raptors have been without five of their players for the last uh, five games. And if you go back to the previous game, which they won against Houston, uh, they've been without Pascal Siakam for six games. Uh, The news on them, some of them, we don't know which ones, uh, as of Sunday, had progressed to one-on-zero workouts. That's not the same as being cleared to return to game action. We don't know what their conditioning is like. We don't know what their... We don't know anything else about them other than some of them are in one-on-o treat uh, workouts as of Sunday. Does that mean some of them can play on Wednesday against the Pistons? Sure. Um, As you pointed out in your story, Blake, it's just a really hard story to write about. Uh, The Raptors... Instead of making a very logical trip from Chicago on Sunday to Detroit, where they played one day, or what one day, <laughs> they will probably play one day, but they'll also play Wednesday. They uh, they instead are taking a detour back to Tampa, where they hope to pick up some or all of the eleven missing bodies between the five players and the six coaches who are still out. Um, uh, it might be fewer than that. Uh, we don't have exact details on which coaches are are back yet Um, but there are a lot of guys to pick up and I think it's safe to say that some of them will be on that plane going to Detroit Uh, that seems at least likely and Nick Nurse was hopeful that by the end of the week 
uh, on Sunday that the team will be back as a full unit. Um, with before we get into the games, how I, I mean, this is just a nightmare to try and dissect and write about, uh, both because we have to and we should be adhering to private privacy concerns, uh, but also. You know, we, we sort of fall back on analysis, but it's kind of hard to analyze players when they are put into uh, positions that they're not normally put into, Blake. Yeah, it sucks, man. It's, um, you know, analyzing any of this, it, it can feel a little gross because there are 11 people who are potentially sick and potentially symptomatic. We don't really know. Um, and first like before any basketball considerations you just hope those people are okay and um, their families let's, both, uh, both physically out, yeah. and mentally right yeah. because you know if say one of the players did test positive and his family didn't you know then you're you're probably quarantining in a hotel room by yourself this whole time um and i'm sure most people have been through some sort of isolation stretch over the last year and it's not it's not great for your mental and it's not obviously I, I mean I haven't had um you know covid thankfully but it sounds like for some people it has a real effect on your your physical health as well. We've heard players like Carl Anthony Towns and Jason Tatum talk about it. We've heard um athletes outside of basketball talk about it. There there are recent studies about um you know I think it was something like it's it's a small number. It was like 5 out of 500 return to play athletes um were monitored and had like heart like um signs of covid related heart disease show up in, in their scans and the the article i read framed it as like a good thing that it was only like five out of 500 which is a small percentage but it's still greater than zero so um there's a lot to sort through before you even get to the basketball stuff now on the basketball side I think had this been a one or two game thing, people would understand, but it's been five games in a row. It's eroded all of the Raptors progress that they'd made. Um, they were, as Nick Nurse pointed out uh, before the game last night, on a pretty good roll uh, until, you know, what what was it? They had that two and eight start and then they had gone 15 and seven. Yeah. Uh, in the time since, so including some pretty good wins. Uh, yeah, two Milwaukee wins over twice, Milwaukee Philly. without true holidays, but still went over Philly, went over Brooklyn in that weird uh, Kevin Durant in out or out in out game. Um, yeah, like it wasn't a pretend fifteen and seven. Like they they had beaten some pretty good teams. Yeah, so it sucks from that perspective, and it's also I think why um, you know people are. Not everyone, I don't want a straw man, um, but there are people who are frustrated and have lost their patience for this and lost the perspective of the Raptors, you know, what I would call three of their four best players and I think three of their four most important players are out. The presumed backups to one of those guys are also out. DeAndre Bembry is your backup point guard now, um, you know. Aaron Baines probably shouldn't be starting even in a scenario like this, but you have no choice but to play him. You're playing a guy who's up from the G League uh, in Henry Ellenson. And it's like, like most of those guys have not looked good. And that's worrisome because you'd hope, you know, the back end of the Raptors roster isn't super young. Um, Flynn and Harris are 22, OG's 23. But that's, that's really, you know, Ellenson, Watson, Stanley Johnson. Those guys aren't 
like young, young and by, by basketball terms. Um, so you'd hope more of those guys were stepping into roles, but we're also talking about, you know, a guy's going from the G league to being the eighth man and a guy's going from being the 16th man to, you know, starting. Um, these are not the type of modest jumps. You, you know, last year the Raptors had so many injuries prior to the shutdown. And it was this great story of how they kept persisting with next man up, next man up, next man up. But it was usually one or two guys out at a time, not five, uh, and that's a pretty big difference when you talk about these guys having to step into larger roles and stuff. Um, you know, having said all that, yeah, you shouldn't have lost e- these five in a row, I don't think. Like, like this is the softest part of the schedule that you have all year um, going back to before. Like, if you go back to that Houston game that, um, that only Siaka missed, between that game, that game to the next meeting with Houston on the 22nd, that's your softest stretch of schedule the entire season. That's that's your 10 games where you could have made up ground if you were healthy. You get some poor competition. Um, you're not, you know, your road games aren't, aren't heavy travel road games. And now you're through that, basically, and, and it's been squandered. And, you know, so I get why there's frustration and I get why people lose their patience and I get why people... You know, look, and it's something I wrote about in in that piece is we knew that the entire situation would disproportionately affect the Raptors because they're being displaced from their homes and they can't come back to Toronto and, and all the Tampa related things. And even going back to pre-bubble, having to go to Florida Gulf Coast University. But you didn't plan in that that, you know, in terms of games lost and which players would be affected, that they would also be disproportionately affected in that way. And that's not you know, COVID doesn't discriminate or or choose based on country or market size or anything like that. It's just, it it is what it is. And and the league, based on the language of the league's protocols, the Raptors have had 10 or more guys available for all of these games. So um, it sucks. And there's a very clear explanation for why the Raptors have lost five in a row. But at this point, you know, I understand if you're frustrated. I understand if your patience is out. And if you're the Raptors, you're probably getting there as well because, you know, we're, we're 39 games into a 72-game season, and uh, it's looking by the day more like kind of not even a transition year, but just kind of a lost year. Yeah, it's I mean, uh, The vibes suck, man. <laughs> bad vibes. Uh, so before we get into... Sorry, that uh, was a long rant, but no, I'm just like... No, that's okay. You pretty I'm much just, covered it. I'm uh, exhausted. Thank you for of, listening to the Raptors Reasonableness. Yeah. Uh, see ya. I'm just exhausted. <laughs> like... I don't know, man. We have such a cool job, and I love my job, but I am a little, like, it sucks to every day when we go to write or we go to do media calls and stuff to, like, have to push aside that 11 people that we would normally interact with regularly and, like, are a part of our work lives are potentially sick, and we have to just, like, put that aside. It's like, well, the next game's being played I don't yeah. know, man. It, it takes a toll. It's... Well, like I asked a question, and, and we'll get into the week that was uh, in more specifics in a, in a moment. But I asked a question after the game on on Saturday, uh, and I felt like I had to preface it because that first quarter was obviously one of the worst quarters in Raptors' memory, uh, especially the first eight or so minutes of it. Like just the you know let it, the thing I was focusing on was that they let up three threes within 10 seconds of making about themselves making a basket. So they were allowing Charlotte to get out in transition, even after 
they scored, which credit to Charlotte, like that's a good job of dictating pace. But, you know, as Nick Nurse said, transition defense is the number one thing on the on the scouting report for that game. And yet they're still getting uh, run down the floor in the, you know, second game back from a break. There wasn't really any excuse for it. And I, it, but I felt also, like... Sorry, to, just to jump in, it's also like, like the transition threes you give up are one of the most controllable things when you're going deeper down the depth chart. Like this isn't a case of the Raptors settle into the half court and these guys are less experienced yeah. in their super aggressive system. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're not, not communication errors. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're not like, oh, I pinched at the elbow and then, you know, I forgot to X out to the other open man. I went back to my own man. Like it, there were some of those and, and like, there was a hilarious one last night where Henry Ellenson was like lost in between three guys. I don't want to pick on him his first week with the team. Um, but like those transition ones were way more dangerous and, and way more voluminous, voluminous. Yeah. Um, and like, those are the ones that are controllable. If, if, if half court breakdowns were happening, I'd be like, yeah, these guys haven't played together. It's inexperienced. The system's tough to pick up when you just, you know, you just got added or whatever. Um, but the transition stuff is like, that's 101. That that's that's the stuff you work your ass off to do so that your two minute stint turns into a four minute stint. You know? Yeah. And so th- with with that in mind, like I was like, obviously this is inexcusable. Like uh, there's no world in which this isn't. But how mad do you get right now, considering what's going on? And, and I think he gave a fair answer that was basically, yeah, it's inexcusable. Like, for some reason, we just couldn't get back from offense to defense. And there, there's no reasoning for it that you can see. Like, there's no good answer to that. But, like, even, like, this is hammer the team you cover 101, as you mentioned. <laughs> and, like, I still felt weird about it because what this team's going through. And, I, and you know, again, a lot of people will hear this as excuse-making, and I think in this specific case, it sort of is excuse-making, by which I mean in, in terms of getting back in transition after you score a basket. It's, it's, it, it is excuse-making, but in general... The losing is uh, very explainable, uh, and, and not to mention the grimness of the situation. But we all do look forward to the league hanging a banner that says uh, "We maximized BRI." Uh, I don't know where that banner will hang. Um, maybe at head offices. But uh, anyway, this is all to say it was one of the worst weeks in Raptors. Recent Raptors history for sure. Yeah, lump uh, the Jays or lump the Leafs in there too, man. It was just yeah. a bad Toronto sports week. Yeah, well, at least there was a cool Austin Matthews goal to win a game, and, the, and a beautiful John Tavares assist. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, Nate Pearson's not going to start on uh, not going to be ready for opening day. So there's that. Uh, you know what the you know what the worst part of that is? It's not Nate, Nate Pearson's groin or, or concerns about his innings limit. It's that I had locked him in as a keeper. And it's past the date on which I could shift him to being a minor league keeper uh, in that league. So Well, that seems stupid. Like, why are these... Because the keeper deadline's passed. But why should it be that early, I guess, is uh, my question. Like, well, why the season shouldn't... starts in two weeks. Well, when, do, when was the deadline? Uh, the deadline was... Uh, I don't remember. 
So he, the, he, the draft he had already been in. I'm guessing he'd already been injured. Yes, but, but you, we okay. didn't know. He hadn't. Be, he had been injured, but he had not been ruled out for opening day. Yeah, yeah. That does suck. I'm sorry. Um, okay. I was um, is... I was talking with uh, Dan Schulman yesterday. He he ooh, finished ooh, up his ooh, conference. La, la. Yeah, yeah. He, he finished up his conference tournament stuff, and now the timing lines up so nicely for um, the start of the Blue Jays season. Anyway, there's some. I don't know. There's a. Uh, I'm looking for. Uh, it, it's Everything's weird. Like, bad. I'm a big baseball <laughs> fan, and I miss writing about baseball. And things have just been so ugly with the Raptors of late that it's just like, uh, give me some. Like, would it be so hard to televise your spring training games so I can throw <laughs> something on in the background? Yeah. I don't know. I uh, uh, the start it's okay. Of baseball At least season, there's not a huge labor war coming in that sport yeah. either. The start of baseball season is romantic for me. Yeah. I don't and really a lot know. of a lot of people. I don't think that's. I remember yeah. very clearly covering a like meaningless Raptors Charlotte game. Like this is Jason Richardson era Charlotte mm. um, on opening night for the Blue Jays. And, like, the Raptors were done, basically. They might have had, like, an outside chance at, at a playoff spot. And I was like, oh, my God, why am I covering this freaking meaningless game when all anybody's talking about it is, you know, opening day? And I love opening day. I've gone to a few opening day games myself. Uh, more more frequently, a uh, pastime of uh, for my brother and myself, uh, going to, like, the third game of the season when there are, like, 9,000 fans at Skydome, and uh, now I'm very nostalgic for the idea of 9,000 fans being at Skydome or Rogers Center or whatever we're calling it. Um, yeah, that, that game you missed, by the way, a 6-3 Blue Jays victory over the Boston Red Sox. Wow. Oh. April 4th, oh. 2008. They were uh, home opener, not season opener, but uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would have been, that was my first full year on the job. Um, nice. Anyway. You missed a Matt Stairs home run? Oh, boy. Uh, and, yeah, so the Raptors did make the playoffs that year and lost in 5 to Orlando. So it wasn't a meaningless game for the Raptors. Uh, full disclosure, a lot of those seasons blend together for me. Sure. <laughs> anyway, all of which to say it's a bad week that we don't want to talk about. Uh, but let's go through it. Uh, first. The Raptors come back from the All-Star break, come back from a horrible start, uh, build a 15-point lead with about six minutes to go, and fritter it all away as longtime enemy Tony Snelly Cat Snell hits a three at the buzzer to give the Hawks a one-point win. Uh, they follow that up with the aforementioned Hornets game in Charlotte, I believe it was 29-4 to or something like that. Um, at some point, the Raptors allow 11 three-pointers, which is, I think, tied for an NBA record for uh, three-pointers in a quarter from any team uh, and tied for a Raptors record, or was the Raptors record? Was the Raptors record and, and the record for in a half. Yeah. Um, it was bad. They were never, you know, they end up losing by 10, but that was very much a 25 point loss. Uh, but it padded the plus 24, I believe, plus minus of Matt Thomas in that game, uh, which is good for him when it comes to his season long net rating. Hey, you want to talk plus minus Paul Watson, a plus in all three. We're going to get, we're going to get there. Don't worry. Um, and finally, 
sort of the type of loss you expect when you're without two of your three best offensive creators. A Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell are fighting and trying to do a little too much because they have to do a little too much. Uh, and they're sort of within 10, 15 for most of the game, end up losing by more than that in Charlotte in what was mostly a bad offensive night. Uh, so they sit 17 and 22 out of the turn, out of the play in tournament at this point, 11th. Uh, I guess there's one question everybody wants to ask us, uh, have us answer. You sort of hinted at it. How much does this affect what's coming up at the trade deadline and how the Raptors have to view it, Blake? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Because you don't want to overreact to it. You can look ahead to getting those guys back and, and hey, maybe, you know, there's still only three games out of the sixth seed. Like, like once you get past the fifth seed in the East, everyone's bad. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's like... Like you're a five game win streak when everyone comes back from being back not on the other side of not being in the playing game. Um, however, you know, I think the stretch before and, and like the buy sell hold decision was a complicated one before this stretch. And you and I went over it back and forth and, you know, what Kyle Lowry prefers and what him and the, the organization feel is best mutually dictates a lot of this. And to me, though, the wins and losses don't really matter that much as much as you know taking care of that situation i do think there are good deals out there if you do move on from lowry um or, or he wants to go somewhere else um but i think you know before this stretch we had kind of seen that you know the upside of this group just isn't there yet not enough to enough that maybe you fortify like i would love a thad young or a rashawn holmes um but not enough that you know, you sacrifice a lot of future pieces or future cap flexibility for because, you know, you don't have championship upside with this group, even if you do add a, uh, you know, if you're not adding a, a star, and I don't think a star is available right now, as far as we can tell. Um, so I think you already saw that the, the ceiling wasn't super high. I think, you know, it's not fair to Lowry during this stretch, but I think, you know, at least a little bit of the Lowry dragging teams to victories magic is fading. And, you know, he had 19 assists against the Celtics and they they lost. Um, and that's not a Lowry thing. That's the, the pieces around. He probably would have 25 assists in that game and would be <laughs> averaging 10 if, if Aaron Baines could catch and finish. Um, you know, it, it's it just Lowry's turning 35 on the trade deadline. Like, like he's only going to be able to do that so much. Uh, or for so long. So I think, you know, you've gotten a look at a long look at a lower ceiling than this team is used to the last couple of years and a shorter look now at uh, certainly a lower floor than we've seen from this Raptors team going back to the, the other Rudy Gay trade when they unloaded them. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I think I'm still iffy on it. I think I'm probably if anything, more inclined to just, like, call it a lost year. Like, it's just, I, I don't know. Like, like they could come out of this and go on a run, and it would be fun, and the playoffs would be cool. Um, I think the biggest thing that I lean toward, though, and I think this has come across in our earlier podcasts and, and our earlier back and forth. Like, I think you you really got to explore selling high on Norman Powell, however you, however you feel about everything else. Like, yes... His skill set would be a giant hole if you took him off this roster. Um, yes, it's 
this is the ideal Norman Powell averaging 30 points a game on a losing team. Um, that's the perfect, perfect spot for him. Um, but I just think, you know, the, we talked about this last week too. The combination of he's about to get more expensive. Um, we've seen what the, the ceiling of this group looks like, you know, with him as a part of it. And you look at how many teams could use a guy like Norman Powell. Uh, I don't know. I think you got to explore it. And the Lowry thing is still a Lowry thing to me, uh, or, you know, a Lowry in the front office thing to me. Uh, I will not, I, I'm not going to treat him like a line item and say, you got to trade him. Um, yeah. That's a them thing. But I, I'd really be exploring what you could get for Norman Powell right now. Yeah. Like, I so, think you could get a player and a pick for him. That brings me to, uh, I didn't plan on this, but it brings me to one of the questions of the week. We might get to a few more depending on how much time we have left over. Uh, Vikram Kumar on Twitter asks, what is the argument against trading Norm at this point for a team currently in, well, it's 11th now in the East and unlikely to make a deep run? Even if you have a desire to re-sign him, they'd still have the option once he hits free agency. So, I I mean, you just talked a lot about Norm, so I I guess I'm spiritually with you in terms of looking at what you can get, but I can make the argument against it, and part of that argument is you get to keep his bird rights, and if you trade him, you don't. So that does hamper your ability to sign, to re-sign him as a free agent. Is it possible? Sure, Uh, because if you don't have Lowry or Powell on the books, you will have some room in free agency, but uh, it does hurt their ability to do that, and it, it sort of gives them one fewer thing they could do, potentially. The other argument against it is he's the same age as uh, two of your three core players. He has chemistry with two of your three core players. Um, And maybe you're not able to do more with that in free agency. So I think that's the argument. Uh, I mean, I know you don't agree that that's a good reason to keep him. But you sort of see that as... Yeah, no, I see the argument. The bird rights are a real thing. Whether, you know, if you say Lowry doesn't go and the free agent market doesn't end up that attractive and you want to retain Lowry and Powell and kind of keep figuring things out on the fly, then yeah, the bird rights are valuable. The bird rights are valuable in potential sign-and-trade deals in the summer as well. Um, I just think this is probably the highest his value is going to be. He scored five... He has five 30-point games of the nine in his career in the last month. He's having another really robust three-point shooting season. Um, He's been, you know, it's tough because every one of these comments about why his trade value is high are are comments why he's really valuable to the Raptors. He's very good um, in his scoring role, but I don't know. I, I just... He, he to me just has always felt like like the piece from this from that next group that you can kind of afford to sell high on and, and I mean another part of it is too just like he's the one whose contract is up right yeah. like like yeah you could if everyone were a free agent at once you could argue well maybe you keep Norman and let someone else walk but like that's not the case and and locking in a fourth salary in that kind of 18 million tier doesn't leave you a lot of long-term flexibility. So I think, you know, I I certainly see the argument for keeping them and the Raptors would get worse without them. There's no question about that. Uh, I just think, 
you know, this is that's the that's the move. I think is if you if you are going to take if you are going to accept this as a lost season and try to add some assets for the future, um, respecting that Lowry has the right to dictate his own situation. Norm's the guy. A lot of teams could use him. Yeah. As um, as we've talked about... Sorry. That's okay. Um, it's tough to be the host, Eric. This is, uh, yeah. this is a new territory for you. Yeah. Um, I, you look like yeah. Henry Ellenson out there right now, man. Thrust yeah. into a role you're not ready for. Whew. It's going to be okay. To put a capper on this trade deadline conversation, uh, it's fine, you know, to expect more when the five players come back uh, or or any of the five players come back. But we have to point out that, as you mentioned with Jason Tatum, he said that, you know, his breath, his conditioning was, he felt like it was still being affected weeks or even a month after he had come back. Uh, And as you also pointed out, the schedule gets tougher after the next week. It, it just does. Uh, they still have eight combined games against the Nets, Jazz, uh, Lakers, and Clippers, who you could make the case that those are the four best teams in the league. Uh, and you have, what, 29, no, 32 games left, 33 games left. Um so that's a decent percentage. So you're going to have to beat a lot of teams, or at least a few teams that you're not supposed to beat on paper to really put yourself in that good position. And by, uh, you know, factoring in some rust and, you know, just a return to health and feeling like themselves, I don't know how fair it is to expect them to, to start this huge push right away. Um, and I think that's something everybody has to be mindful of uh, going forward. Because, yeah, the schedule's still easy. This week it's Detroit, Utah on Friday, which is a tough game. Then Cleveland on Sunday, Houston on Monday. It's fine to say they should go 3-1 and one with a full or something approaching a full lineup. Uh, but, I mean, this isn't a normal full roster team. Like, even if everybody is back. So... All of this figures to complicate things as we go into uh, the trade deadline, which is next Thursday. Uh, was there a, I mean, before I, we get into some of the do, the guys who did fill in, was there, what was your lowest moment of these three games? Mm, I don't know. Breaking news on the on the pod, though. Uh, Norman Powell just signed with and one. Oh, I wonder how Fred feels about that. I don't know. Um, well, good for him. Understand the grind. Yes. And I, have uh, more, I, I made the mistake of opening Twitter to tweet that, and then I have more of the conspiracy people in my mentions about how other yeah. teams... Anyway. Guys, uh, there's not a conspiracy against the Raptors in this case. Yes. Uh, there are rules that have to be followed, and the timing hit the Raptors poorly, it could have hit them worse. There could have been no all-star break in the middle of there, and then the Raptors would have probably played three more games without these guys. Anyway, um, let's get into... Let, let's just blow past that. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, because of the, the absences, uh, we saw a lot more of some guys who we had seen a bit of already, uh, but we saw a lot more of them together, which isn't ideal. 
but I sort of want your takes on all of them, and we're going to uh, go from the top minutes on down. And all of these guys are sort of wing players, you know, ranging from two to four. Uh, and DeAndre Bembry, as you mentioned, was the uh, sort of backup point guard among the among this group, and he did play the most minutes. 78 total minutes over the last three games, went nine for 23, uh, one for five from three. I should mention also that none of these guys have guaranteed contracts for next year. <laughs> um, so I'm, you know, while you answer this and, and reflect on how they played, also maybe a thought about how they may or may not fit into the Raptors' Long, or not long-term, short-to-medium-term future. So DeAndre So what Bambri, are we doing? Are you just throwing uh, names at me and we're going I'm throwing names. I'm throwing names at you, and you're going to uh, basically say how you felt about cool. you know, them being pressed into bigger uh, roles than they would ideally have. DeAndre cool. Bembry. Yeah, I think what we saw over these five games is that Bembry is a much more valuable player being a connector piece in strong lineups than trying to anchor good ones i just don't think you know i don't think he's not a point guard um he's not a dynamic enough scorer to to carry all that responsibility i still really like the way he's looked when he gets to play with you know like i i thought that taking him out of the starting lineup last game for terrence davis was not the move to make i thought stanley johnson and aaron baines were as a pairing were kind of uh the issue but i just think benbry's skill set is such a complimentary skill set he's he's a guy that's not going to look good when he's the number one or number two. And if he's the number five, he's going to look pretty fun. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, I think the big thing you saw that was missing, especially in the Chicago game, and Nick Nurse talked about getting some good shots in that game. Uh, I would maybe disagree a bit. There was a lot of, like, trying to finish after catching on the roll uh, instead of, like, next pass at uh, next action playing which you know when chris boucher and aaron baines get it at that spot they're not really known for making that next pass like that's still obviously a development area for boucher at the very least um and normally like bembry is a guy who will make that next action play but if he's near the start of that sequence he can't make the next you can't make you can't be the first and second parts of a play it's pretty difficult so uh i think he has like a two million or something unguaranteed contract next year if i'm not mistaken uh so that's potentially interesting uh i think the one you're most interested in as being you know one of the world's foremost experts on this player uh, Paul Watson, he played 74 minutes over three games, a pair of 27-minute outings uh, over the last two. 
Uh, goes 7 for 19 from the field, 3 for 13 from 3, but was, as you mentioned, uh, positive plus minus in all three games uh, and a plus 24 overall. Um, after the game on Sunday, Nick Nurse said you need a bit more shot making from that role, uh, but he did cite uh, that plus minus thing obviously is having an impact on the floor. So uh, you've watched Watson from his time with the Raptors 905. And even before that, you would have seen him elsewhere in the G League. The Westchester uh, Knicks. Um, shout out to the Westchester Knicks. What did you think about him trying to uh, step up? Yeah, I thought among that group, he probably made the best case to continue Getting to play um, that despite shooting 22% on threes over the last five, even though, uh, you know, three-point shooting is supposed to be one of his strengths. I just think his size and effort level, and now that he's figured out the defense a little bit and isn't, you know, he had a couple quick cameos earlier in the year where it was an immediate defensive mistake upon checking in. And he's, uh, he's ironed some of that out. He's not... I don't know. I think he's just solid. Like, like he shoots a three. He has good size. He tries hard on defense. That's that's a pretty good base. Um, yeah, and I think you know uh, the other thing too is like maybe maybe I lean toward him having like a little bit more upside than some of the guys he he's competing with here. Like he's not young, um, and if this is his fourth pro season now, including his G League time. But he's gotten the least opportunity of those guys, and, and I think. You know, I don't want to be reductive and say that effort and hustle are, you know, the only things you're evaluating here. But he was, I I guess what I'm trying to get at is he had the fewest plays over the last three games where I pulled my hair out. Um, And I am, I am not balding, but I should not be pulling my hair out yet. Like, like I'm 34. I shouldn't, it's too risky to be pulling my hair out right now and. Uh, Paul Watson made me do that the least. Um, tangent, Nick Nurse, There were, I think that was the most, on, on Sunday, the most shots of him with just his hands over his face yeah. uh, that I've seen on a broadcast. All right, um, we got to pick the pace up here. I'm giving you too long answers. Yeah. Uh, so Stanley Johnson, uh, I have the shooting numbers wrong because I remember him hitting two three-pointers against Atlanta. Uh, and I have him one for six on three-pointers. So that's just wrong. Uh, A number I'm pretty confident in, minus 44 over 55 minutes. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was a cool story earlier in the year that he was finding his way as a role player, and I still don't hate him if he's your your kind of fifth forward option. But to be a starter and playing 22 minutes a game, he's he's just not that guy. And obviously he's another guy that's going to look better with better players around him and playing a smaller role, but... It's just, I don't know. It's it's not there, and I'm not a, I'm not a huge believer in the three point shot over a larger sample. Um, I just I think it's time for him to go back to to the role he was in, kind of maybe not last year, maybe not that extreme, but I think he's like a, an eleventh, twelfth guy. Uh, Terrence Davis, as you mentioned, stepped in to the starting lineup, uh, and on, on Sunday. Uh, seven for, or did he start on Saturday too? No, I don't know. He started Sunday. Uh, seven for 21. So, uh, other than Bembry, he played 46 minutes, 21 shots, uh, which is by far the most shots per minute on this, uh, of this group, uh, which is not surprising, obviously. Uh, four for 11 from three, 
minus 35 over 46 minutes. Uh, what were your thoughts on Terrence Davis? Uh, I will say, let's start with the positives. He didn't body check anyone at half court in the bonus uh, <laughs> this time around. So that's progress. Um, he's just, he's a, a high mistake player. There was even at the end of a quarter last night, he got an offensive rebound and had yeah. two teammates open under the basket and took a step back three instead. And, and like, yeah, that's a that's a read and react, and you're trying to make something happen. And, and like he's not the only one on this team making poor decisions. Uh, we we had the Norman Powell defensive thing uh, the other night too. But um, my confidence level in Davis bringing more to the table than he's taking off of it remains fairly low. Uh, do you want to guess what Utah Watanabe's plus minus in 29 minutes over three games was? Plus, oh, he played the end of that of the game that they came back with empty stats. Uh, plus sixteen. Plus twenty one. So, uh, just behind Paul Watson in twenty nine minutes. Uh, you I uh, Utah I mean, is Utah. There's not. I don't think there was anything new. Well, they just didn't. The, what's new is like he was behind all these guys. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a case for that, but. I would like to see more of him. Uh, I, I yeah. think you, when he was out there, uh, he's not a high mistake player. I, I don't think he's obviously limiting at the offensive end, but he's a guy that's not going to get beat down the floor. He's not going to, you know, when when Charlotte's running the ball down your throat, he's going to be back. He's going to be active on the glass, and um, I would have liked to see more than twenty nine minutes from him. I, I don't. Th- uh, I don't like. Look, they're losing these games, not the Atlanta game, but the other two games. Either way, like that, he's not flipping a result. But I, I don't really see what he's done to lose some of those peripheral minutes since his ankle injury. Uh, well, that's uh, what he did. He got an ankle injury. Yeah, but nobody's. I guess nobody's taken them from him either. Like Terrence Davis, I think did briefly yeah. when everybody was healthy. But I, I don't think that's continued. Uh, so, like, to me, like, you know, Utah's right up there with Watson, maybe behind Bembry as as the most productive guys right now. And yeah. that just hasn't been reflected in the minutes. Uh, um, and I will, I will, let's round this out. Um, Jalen Harris barely played, just garbage time. Um, I think you're going to continue to see that. Henry Allenson played 38 minutes. I, yeah, I, was, I actually had him in the news roundup, and then you yeah we kind of skipped times. over him. Yeah, I think I just made a joke about him, and that's it. Yeah. Um, I like Henry Allenson. He's a very nice dude and a great teammate. He has turned into of the most ludicrously efficient high volume G League seasons the last two years. Tries hard on the glass, can play make a little bit for a center. Um, what I will say about Henry Allenson to keep this diplomatic is. That there's a reason there were other Raptor 905 guys I was calling aggressively for to get a call up. Is that a nice enough way to phrase that? Yeah. Uh, he's got some defensive shortcomings. Um, also, right. just like I, like, I was really surprised he got the play Sunday after the shot. Like, you wrote about this yeah. in your piece Saturday night. Like, 
you don't often get a second chance if you come in and miss three pick and pop jumpers in a you row. You don't always, always get a first guy. chance as a 10 day contract yeah. guy, right? So anyway, I mean, I'm glad he got the opportunity, but a second opportunity and like he, he did a bit out there, but you can see his shortcomings. Uh, let's leave it at that. Uh, but they like him and, uh, it's not the worst thing right now to be getting an extended view at somebody who they've obviously had their eye on for a while. <laughs> yeah, uh, and look, I I realize on. that there is some irony in we just went through like five players who are the same basically prototype and I'm here like, no, call Alizé Johnson up. Another 6-7 combo forward with offensive limitations who um, has energy and defends and rebounds, but... I stand by it. This is well, uh, I mean, one person John- who would not have been slow back on transition defense is Alizé Johnson because he would have been trying to sprint back and get a chase down block so that he could sprint the other way and bowl into someone for uh, a layup. So. Yeah, is it too much to ask for a lineup with just Utah, Alizé Johnson, and Chris Boucher? Like, uh, just yeah. like have them sprint back and forth trying to dunk and block everything? Yeah. Um, let's get to a, another question. Very quickly, uh, if the right honorable, this is from Traven Benner, uh, if the right honorable Kyle Lowry stays next year on a new contract, what is the best and or most likely source of strengthening the center position, free agency, trade, or draft? I don't even think the Kyle Lowry part of this question is necessarily very pertinent. Obviously, it does change the root, the uh, asset or, or the space you have to spend in free agency, but... I mean, we're still a ways away, but what do you sort of see as the most likely avenue for addressing that position? Because it's clear yeah, they're going to have to. I think trade probably, um, you know, free agency, unless you let Lowry and Powell and all your non-guaranteed guys all walk, you know, you, you're you're spending in the norm range uh, of money and there aren't, you know, you could you might like a John Collins type, but that's that kind of deal is probably getting matched. Um, and I don't know that there's a great center who's going to come for that price. I, I do, I do love Rashawn Holmes, who is a, a free agent with only early bird rights. So maybe, um, uh, but no, I think a trade is likelier the, the draft, you know, it certainly wouldn't hurt to get a, a center prospect in the pipeline, but you just, you're not relying on someone from the draft to come in and, and help immediately. And, yeah. and the Warriors are going through that a little bit. With Wiseman, who who was the number two pick, um, you know the Raptors drafted a quote unquote NBA ready guy at twenty nine, who has barely played. Um, obviously, he would be playing right now if he were um, healthy. But I just think I think pinning anything on the draft, like I just I always take a long term view with yeah. draft picks. Like the the one thing I remember is like they drafted Delon Wright, and it looked like he was going to be the backup point guard because they had a need there. And then they went outside Corey Joseph, and, and Delon Wright spent the whole year with the nine hundred five, basically, um, which is fine and was good for his development. But you're not drafting to plug immediate needs. Um, even like even Lamella Ball came off the bench yeah, for, for a little uh, bit, and, and he's a clear rookie. He's clearly the rookie of the year. Yeah, I wrote about this after the Charlotte game, like in the pro- just like considering the prospect of the season continuing to go down the toilet, and then you say, "Hey, you know, at least we got a high draft spot." And and, and don't get me wrong, like a high draft pick would be great for this franchise, uh, potentially great, I should say. Uh, they could do a lot with it. But your core are in their, you know, mid to late 20s. Um, and, I mean, 
OG Ananobi's at the beginning of that. Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, I believe, will they'll both be 27 by the time next season starts, uh, or, or will turn 28 during next season. Um, there are currently four rookies over two win shares for the season. Uh, LaMelo Ball, Tyler Halliburton, Emmanuel quickly just got over there, and uh, oh, I can't remember. The guy on Houston... Not even a Jay Shante? Yeah, not a twenty twenty draft class rookie either. No, Euro so, Euro re import. So you're not looking at many like big contributors immediately. And so that's why, like, yeah, draft pick, great. Sub- supplement the core. Um, but I don't think that's helping you with how to turn this core into a immediately more competitive team next year. I will say the exception to that being if somehow the path plays out where you bought him out and you get some lottery fortune, yeah. uh, the top five or six, it's, or it's a deeper eight, depending on your your preference level, but like certainly the top five and then six to eight, you know, varying degrees of, of excitement. But I mean, right now the Raptors would have a four point five percent chance at Cade Cunningham, who is a franchise changing prospect. So yeah, um, um, but yes, in the like the Raptors would be projected to pick eight right now and like that guy isn't changing a lot for you in a one-year window yeah um final question from ryan wolstadt oh, on a scale of one to seven thousand how much do you guys miss seeing me in person what is like that is the only thing keeping me happy with working from home is not having to see ryan wolstadt yeah so a negative three yeah um actually the pandemic is good <laughs> Uh, I'll put uh, the shoe on the other foot as the colloquialism goes. We've got Detroit on Wednesday in Detroit, Utah in Tampa on Friday, Cleveland Sunday in Cleveland, Houston and Houston on Monday. That's a lot of travel for a back-to-back. Um, at least you get an hour. What are you predicting, Blake? I, By the way, I went one and two this week. Uh which was better than the Raptors, so whatever. All right, I uh, obviously there's some stuff we don't know about return oh, yeah. play and stuff. Uh, that, like that, that's that's got to suck, huh? Doesn't doesn't it? Yeah, it's suck I'm gonna go uh, win loss win win. Yeah. I uh, I realize three and one is overly optimistic for where things are right now, uh, but. Detroit, Cleveland, and Houston are all pretty bad. Houston's lost a million games in a row. If you're going to play anyone on a heavy travel back-to-back, it should be Houston. They basically started the real Grand Valley Vipers the other night. <laughs> uh, I do love Jay Sean Tate and Kevin Porter Jr., um, but, yeah, they're not uh, they're not good. So, Well, Blake, if, uh, if you have a good week here, we might have to permanently switch to you making these predictions. Yeah, I'm going uh, to immediately forget what I picked, so uh, I, I hope you're Don't keeping worry. track. Uh, you you picked them to beat the bad teams and to lose to the good team. Um, Is that a bold strategy? <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what I've done, and it hasn't worked out at all. I mean, uh, Nick Nurse said yesterday that it feels like team records don't even matter. Like, once you get in a game, you can't even tell. But. Well, I mean, I think when your team isn't your team, that is probably true. <laughs> um, when you're playing with a bastardized version of your team. Uh, guys, please subscribe at theathletic.com slash we the six. Uh, we will 
be right enough, whatever's to come. And God, let's hope for a better week and a more interesting week and a, and a less reductive week, I guess, at the very least, yeah. <laughs> um, that, than this past one, which was certainly a low moment in recent Raptors history. Uh, Give me some nonsense rumors to write about. Yeah. The, it's the only stuff people are eating up for content right now. Yeah. So. how Like, Shams, throw the Raptors a bone in Inside Pass. What the hell, man? Yeah, not even a mention in Monday's edition. Yeah. Come on. Um, theathletic.com slash we the six, three ninety nine a month. Blake, uh, it was fun switching roles for a week. Uh, I'm sorry about my problems as a host, but I, I hope this eased your burden a little bit. Uh, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, thank you. I uh, appreciate it, and everyone will talk to you after the Houston game next week, so it's probably Tuesday. See ya! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.